Welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller, as always, alongside Patrick Williams. This week, we're going to start with part two of our interview with Connor Carrick. We had the first part of it last week, where Connor got into some more general things with respect to how the game is analyzed by media, the kind of discrepancies between the average fan and what the advanced people like himself know and how to bridge that gap. Great conversation on those topics. But for this week, we're going to get into Connor's career right now, what it's like to be in the AHL and sort of the changing landscape of it. And a lot of cool things with respect to what a player like him is evaluating free agency. So I don't want to spoil it all. So, you know, without further ado, let's get part two of the episode going on. You know, thinking back to, you know, you're discussing Boston and Washington and New Jersey and the NHL in general, like a lot of times those guys have played together for years and years and years and they know each other like, you know, the back of their hands. How is that different than the AHL where you have guys coming and going on a weekly basis almost? I mean, it's really tough. The American League schedule entirely, I mean, you're well aware of, you know, the cost of doing business in a three and three style. Um, there's a pacing of players. There's a certain, uh, there are certain plays that they won't make. Uh, I remember I asked one of our trainers, uh, in Toronto who'd actually worked in football. And I was like, just curious, like, what's the difference between, you know, football and, and hockey and in some different regards. And he goes, oh, the energy on game day when it came to football, just cause there were so few games mm-hmm. and it always kind of clicked. Like you look around a lot of locker rooms, for, you know, for games 30 through 70, it's a beat up group. I mean, if you look around a locker room at game 10, you can't believe that there's 60, 70 more games to go plus a playoff run. Um, so it's just a, a different nature to our game. And, and particularly the American league, you have a lot of uh, change. You have a lot of bodies. I find that to be an issue a lot of times just because you don't have the, uh, you know, capped uh, number of players. So, you know, management and coaches are trying to do their best to keep everyone uh, fresh in their game. And that is, you know, part of the definition is a, a developmental league in nature. Um, so it, it's it's uh, it's a little rougher on the edges that way, but it, it, it's it's beautiful in its own right. Now the other the other challenge in the NHL too is you, you get these prospects that come in and they, they kind of want to be the NHL yesterday, and then you also have a lot of players that have really been kind of kicked around the business and bring some baggage with them, and and maybe are looking down the road to, to Europe. How do you pull everyone onto the same page and get everyone to kind of play for a team concept rather than their own careers at this level? I I mean, it's such a team sport. You're going to struggle tremendously uh, with too much individualism. And I think that is where, you know, culture and coaching, you know, really can, can help. There's always a story to be told, uh, you know, that can motivate, individuals and and players and an appreciation for the moment that you have now and i think it really just it always comes down to the individual like do you want to identify as a person who when things are going really well for you mm. are you uh you know brave enough strong enough uh, enough of a leader to, to do your best period mm. and when things are not going well like are you open to trying again and again and again, and if the answer is yes, I am one of those guys. You look at my hockey TV, there's a lot of different, you know, stops. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I feel way more encouraged, uh, 
way more spirited right now coming to the rink every day than I have ever in my career before. Uh, some of my darkest days in this game where, you know, I'm not sure uh, my heart was in it to the, to the extent that it is now were when I was playing often in the NHL because the culture and coaching was difficult or abrasive, or I, you know, felt you know, personally you know, deeply disrespected and, and, and in ways that uh, there was, there was adversity that was, um, I, I wasn't as mature to handle it at the time. I wasn't as seasoned. And uh, as you know, it always circles around to you ask any player, like, how's it feel when the puck's on your stick, man? It's a good time. You know, when you're skating well, like how, how pure is that when you're you're skating well, the game's going on, you just, you feel like you got an extra step. That's encouraging. That's a fun thing to experience. Okay. Park that in order to feel that way, there's some preparation that's got to take place. Let's, let's get after that. And coaching-wise, you have Ryan Mujanel. You, you've played for a lot of coaches. What is it like to play for him? He's upbeat. I think mm-hmm. he takes into consideration the demands of the American League. There mm-hmm. is, without it ever being said, a degree of everyone's here and wishes they were someone else. They were somewhere else. Yeah. And so how do you draw people into the present moment and help them uh, – feel a, a bit of joy to be here with the hunger balance with the hunger to, to prove themselves. And I think, you know, Ryan Mujanelli is a, a strong ambassador uh, for our game. He is challenging. He has uh, some old school uh, demands and how he plays. And a lot of that filters down from the Boston Bruins as well. And, and just the culture that they've had and that has been longstanding, uh, you know, up there. Um, he, he, he's a good time to, to play for. And I think he does a really nice job, particularly with younger players where, you know, it, it's a, it's a little tricky for them. Uh, they're looking around, maybe other friends, guys that they were drafted uh, ahead of having a ton of success. And at some point you've got to fight the fight you're in. And I think he does a good job focusing uh, players that way. And then just, you know, so you've been through this, this routine before, free agency in the summer, right? You know, we we're used to seeing free agency in, in hockey and July one rolls around and it's the hype with, you know, the big NHL star names. What is it like for rank and file players, which are the vast majority of the league um, to go through that? And what made Boston a good fit for you? Um, you know, Boston expressed an interest and uh, I love the way that they played. I had familiarity, oddly. Ryan Mujanel was the assistant coach with the Hershey Bears 10 years ago as a rookie when I came in. And so I just – I knew the personality and I knew what he valued uh, and that that might be a fit. So, you know, my goal was obviously to make Boston. Um, but I, I – I, you always account for what the underside of, you know, what's the floor of this situation look like if I am in the minors. And then Jim Montgomery, I thought, did a really nice job in Dallas and I played some good hockey for him. I was playing you know, I had a big injury there, but uh, the night I got hurt, I played 22 minutes. Like I, so they're, they're, the word every uh, depth player is looking for is leash and trust, right? Like, so I was approaching that with him at a previous time, and I thought he was uh, a great mind for the game and, and what he wanted from his team, so I thought that was a good fit. And actually, the D coach was John Gruden, who was my coach at the U.S. development team, and John, whom I knew, another great ambassador for the game, I think, uh, challenging while being a genuinely good person and treats you as one. And uh, I think alongside a, a stellar roster 
you know, that the, the uh, Don Sweeney and, and the team has, has had, I think they have a great staff. And so that was really uh, a key point uh, for me. And, you know, there were some uh, other options, but I was really excited at, at what they had in Boston. Just further to that, when you're evaluating the landscape of teams and whatnot, you mentioned like how they played, but on the other side of the coin, in terms of like a city living there and whatnot, what kind of things, you know, do you discuss with your family, your partner, whoever it may be that people may not really think come into play? I mean, you, you, you want it to be family friendly. You want to have, uh, you know, restaurants you can go to. You want it to be you know, somewhat drivable. We enjoy an urban environment. We live kind of out in the woods in the summer. So it's, it's kind of a nice contrast. Uh, ideally you want the NHL club to be close. If you are in a call-up situation, that's what every depth guy wants is to get called up. And that produces tremendous stress on the family. I was in Charlotte last year because Seattle didn't have Coachella Valley up and running. That could have been a tough year if you're doing cross country flights all season long. You know, my son was a year younger at that point. He turns two at the end of the month. That's a handful. Um, and so you, you do evaluate those things and, uh, it's a fluid situation that the biggest trouble you run into as you, uh, I, you know, I'm on a one-year deal is, uh, you know, some of the schooling situations and how you organize preschool and how do you get your kid in swimming class? Cause these are, these are really important things. And they're actually things I've, I've struggled with. They aren't, uh, things I've been able to organize and, and pull off particularly even this year. Teams will generally help, uh, the best they can, but, it's, a, it's the same across the board. Like the NHL is going to get uh, the, the the most amount of available help that they can. They have people for these positions. They have, uh, you know, stronger ties and pull within the community. Um, the American League, it's an implied, uh, you'll figure it out on your own sort of, sort of deal. You know, in a, you, last you mentioned Charlotte last year, you played there in a dual affiliation, very kind of a unique setup. Um, you know, as somebody that likes to evaluate different teams, different systems, what did you learn playing there as a Seattle uh, con- contracted player? You know, playing alongside Florida players. I thought it was done the only way it could be, and that was as if it was his own entity, which was I thought really remarkable. I thought Jordy Kinnear. Uh, held guys extremely accountable. He was pretty clear in how he wanted to play. He was consistent in his message. He was demanding in practice. He rewarded guys that played well. Uh, he kept, you know, accountable guys that didn't. And it was really regardless of affiliation. Uh, you had Dan Bilesman, who I think was, you know, very refreshed. It's no secret. I think he's a big part of why Coachella Valley is having success. He's a high-end uh, hockey mind. That quality of coach is generally recruited for the National Hockey League, but, you know, he kind of had a kick at the can there and, and is, you know, quote-unquote, you know, maybe doing some uh, – his time to, to try to get back in that conversation. Um, he was awesome for us, and I think it was the perfect blend of just positionally. Uh, there, there was competition, but not an overcrowding where, you know, conflict was, was going to come up a ton. And uh, we had a we had a blast. We had a we had a good team. We had a good run at the end. We ran into a very strong Springfield team. I think it was just a tough matchup for us, really all year. Uh, you know, but we we had a good group. And I, I mean, I with all the transition, oftentimes in, in the American League level, you you do lose contact with a lot of your ex teammates. And I still talk to quite a few of those guys uh, really weekly. 
you've been in different uh, career roles. You've been the the prospect coming in, you know, breaking through to the NHL full time. Now you're in that that late twenties uh, stage that so many players find themselves in. What is that that transition in mindset like as a player? Um, I mean, there's a, there's a healthy degree of deniability where you mm-hmm. you know want to get back in that conversation and and earn a full time position again. There's a a grappling with the you know finality and and being on the on the back nine. This is my tenth year professional, so. I mean, unless I'm going to play 20 years, um, you know, this is the second half, you know, even if I play 20 years. So uh, I, I think you or I at least particularly appreciate the game. I think I've learned so much about myself through the trials and the tribu- tribulations, the successes, the injuries, the trades. Uh, my marriage has had so many different tests and opportunities for, for challenge and growth. Um you, you really start to boil down what's important to you and, and how do I want to go about not just this job, but really any job and, and any career opportunity that I would have in my life. Uh, and I think what's really crazy is I, you know, I mentioned earlier, I have a son and so far, who knows if it sticks, like he's hockey obsessed. And so, mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden there's this really renewed interest to, to relearn because it's who knows if he might lean on me someday and, and have questions for me. And I, and so it, it's no longer only a self-serving uh, thing. He, he comes on the ice with us, you know, after practice from time to time. Um, there's a hockey gym in the area here that they got a big synthetic ice area. I take him once, twice a week because he loves it. And who knows? And so all of a sudden, wow, if I can have this be an avenue to express myself, express my values for sure, that's awesome. Uh, hockey's, all, you know, for the most part, all I've ever known. But now I have my son's watching, and he's taking note of how dad goes through the world. And I, I want him to believe it's possible to do something that you really enjoy doing. It's hard. It, it challenges me. I have some really dark days where I really wish results were different. Um but who knows? Maybe it's something we we share over the coming years, and and uh, we'll see what what happens next. If you were going to go back in time and talk to a young Connor Carrick, first second year prospect, what would your message to him be? Um, there is always an opportunity uh, to grow your game. Your relationship with your career is permanent. The people around you will fade away. So, you know, if there's a dominant coach or a dominant voice that's maybe giving you a hard time, there's still an opportunity to work on your game and you likely won't play for this guy forever, good or bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, at, at some point you will always remember the way in which you carry yourself. And I think that that is a very loaded statement. Absolutely. Well, Connor, thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome, and we really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks again to Connor for coming on. What what an amazing speaker, and seriously, one of the true gems in the league in terms of the way he can... I, I find it very interesting the way that he's able to break down very complicated things, and not just that, but peel back the curtain as to what 
the mindset and sort of the logistics that someone like him is dealing with. I think that's some really, really awesome insight. And again, thank you so much, Connor. So for now, we're going to get to an interesting topic and another interesting player within the AHL, and that's Alex Golchenyak. So he's having a very good season with the Colorado Eagles right now. He, he was in camp with the Avalanche, got injured, I believe, right, Pat? He got injured, was yeah. it in preseason? Preseason, yes. Got injured in preseason, kept in, in talking terms, whatever, and they signed him to a deal to be with the AHL. So 24 points in 25 games, and he's trying to get his way back up to the NHL. And Pat, you actually spoke to him and, and Greg Cronin in Colorado and it's funny because we, you and I were talking as you're preparing. I said, well, why is a guy like him kind of play, still playing? What's he doing? And what's the kind of the goal here? And you seem to have an interesting understanding of what that may be. Yeah, he's, well, you know, I think Alex Galchen is a pretty well-known entity at this point. Uh, 11 pro seasons. He was third overall pick by the Montreal Canadiens. He's had a 30-goal season. By any stretch of the imagination, I mean, he's had a career anybody – would be thrilled to have, right? Totally. Um, but, uh, the, you know, the last uh, three years or so have just – his career definitely went sideways. <clears throat> Played for several clubs. Um, his goal production, his point production definitely fell off considerably. Um, and so this, this summer there just weren't many opportunities out there for him. Uh, Avalanche come calling. Uh, he, he said that was – Extremely appealing to him, uh, a team fresh off a, a Stanley Cup. Um, it, you know, in his words, he was fired up <clears throat> to go to camp with them. Obviously, there's, you know, a little bit of a setback with the injury, but uh, you know, I think to his credit, he he was willing to go um, on a PTO with the Colorado Eagles, play there uh, for a bit. He earned himself an NHL contract for the rest of the year. Actually got himself four games up with the Avs before coming back to color to, to the Colorado Eagles. And I think the most interesting part is um, he is trying to rebrand himself. Um, I think we've all known him for a long time as somebody that could produce offensively, but defensive game was lacking. Um, and he's working very closely with Greg Cronin, the head coach there. Um it was, it was interesting. So they were on a road trip uh, back in November. So this was the first week that Galchenyuk was with the, the Eagles. Uh, the bus breaks down on the side. So they're on the side of the highway. They have a couple hours to sit there and, and, and chat, um, just even get to know each other. They just met um, pretty recently. And um, Cronin gave him the straight deal. He said, you know, we've done all of our, you know, intelligence, you know, intel work. We, we spoke with, uh, you know, people that have followed him, you know, coaches and other people in the business. I mean, Cronin's got 35 years of coaching experience, so he's got a network of contacts everywhere. And, um, you know, he was very blunt with him. He said, you know, here's the knock on you. Your defensive game just is not good enough. Um, and Galchenyuk, to his credit, bought in, right? And so ever since then, uh, he's been in the AHL for the most part, and they're, they're working really closely on all of his um, – really re, re kind of taking his defensive game down to the foundation and then rebuilding it back up. And the part that was interesting for me is, I mean, here's a guy who played in the NHL for 650-something games, and he himself admitted that um, he didn't even know what he didn't know about defensive work and 
Um, you know, for the longest time, he was able to just get by by producing. And teams would kind of overlook any shortcomings uh, away from the puck and defensively. And um, But obviously, as that production has fallen off, now you have to bring something else. Uh, again, to his credit, he realizes that. He recognized that he had to do that. Um, he's really bought into the entire um, overhaul of his game. I mean, that that's difficult to do, I think, for any player. Um, he's been playing one way pretty much his entire life and, and 10 years in the NHL one way. And now he's trying to reinvent himself uh, as, you know, good two-way defensive forward. And, uh, you know, it's, it's – it's, I was thinking of this. It's almost comp- similar to what's – you'll see junior players do, right? They, they put up huge numbers. Um, they, they turn pro, but it's obvious that their, their future, if there's going to be one in pro is going to be as a defensive forward. And so they have to really kind of completely learn to play a different style from what they did. And that's, this is that situation, but with 10 years in the NHL behind it. Uh, so it's that much more of a, a, dramatic uh shift for a player and he's 28 years old so he's, he's certainly um on the older side uh to be turning around his career so yeah it was a very interesting chat we had well it's funny too because from colorado's perspective you have nate max deal coming in next season mm-hmm. kale mccars if it hasn't already come in yet it will be next year whatever he's making another nine million they did sign lattice coggle for last season it's a lot of money to your core so and also, granted, they trade a lot of their draft capital for deadline additions. So they've got a hit on those, you know, league minimum deals. Mm-hmm. They signed Ben Myers out of Minnesota. They, they've been good there. But in terms of offensive punch and potential, and, you know, of course, he's got to be better defensively. But I think you naturally one would think that the real advantage here is if you can get his defensive game to a decent enough point, you could have him on your second power play unit. You could have a sort of a mismatch there. And it's funny because I almost think that the biggest mistake Galchenyuk made was leaving Toronto because they really like the development staff there saw Galchenyuk as a guy that has played on, you know, five teams within like three years at that point. And they had him with the Marlies. They had development plan with him. He's with the Leafs. He actually became a pretty serviceable producer for the Maple Leafs. Then, you know, kind of a grass is greener approach i would think he goes to arizona where oh there's more ice time opportunity whatever scores 20 points in 60 games again nothing crazy good and then from there he kind of tapers off so i think if anything there's the angle of oh he'll go down to the age hall and dominate and then come back up no it's it's what you're saying pat it's he's gotta re- reinvent his game you see it a lot in the nhl now even like look at a guy like eric stall in florida yeah he's be- because of just the nature of his a age be you know the decline that comes with that he's had to reinvent his game and Galchenyuk you know I think a lot of people would have wanted to come sooner um and I and I say that in reference to when he was in Montreal there was all that talk about is your number one center or all that stuff but anyways all that aside I think it's it's a really good gamble by Colorado and mm-hmm. for Galchenyuk it's a great place for him to try to reinvent himself Colorado's both their teams are nearby each other Sorry, are the Eagles in Denver too, or are they Loveland? Like they're they're about an hour north, uh, Loveland. Okay. It's, uh, but nothing right up the highway. Yeah. Right. Okay. So yeah, I think it's a pretty serviceable idea for both sides. 
let's move on to the our prospect of the week. And he is a prospect that was just part of the NHL blockbuster with Bo Horvat, and that is Atu Ratu of I almost said the Islanders, but no, of the Vancouver Canucks organization, soon to be Abbotsford Canuck. One of those players where the name is kind of a life of its own. He was projected when he was, you know, 16 or 15, whatever it was, but from a young age to be the, the next kind of prodigy. And as it happens, sometimes it didn't kind of work out that way in terms of him playing pro a teenage year. Anyways, he slipped on drafting in 2021 Islanders drafted him the second round 52nd overall. He's been with Bridgeport the last two years. Or, sorry. This is his first year at Bridgeport mainly my bad. Played a couple games in Long Island with the NHL team this year, scoring his first two career NHL goals. But so far this season, Atiratu has 15 points in 27 games with the Bridgeport Islanders of the AHL. He's headed over to Abbotsford, and Patrick Alvin said when assessing the trade, in his mind, they got three first-rounders back. Now, I'm not about to get into that because that logic kind of makes my mind go in a pretzel, um, as I don't know if you can really consider a second round pick from before first, no matter how much his value goes up or down, which is kind of sloppy logic. But Pat, you, you got, you spoke to some of his former teammates and, and coaches today or yesterday. I can't remember, but what, what's kind of the read on him and, and the player that he could be uh, what, what's Vancouver getting in him? Yeah. So I spoke with William Dufour, who's a fellow uh, really strong prospect. Uh, uh, Dufour was a fifth rounder, put up huge numbers uh, last year in the queue uh, with uh, St. John, but uh, you know, he's having a good year himself uh, as a rookie at Bridgeport and Bridgeport themselves. They've been very up and down this year, but you know, I figured, I mean, so you have DeFore, he's played with him. He's also played against him. I uh, played this past summer at the world junior championship uh, when Ratu was there and DeFore obviously was Canada. And um, yeah, the first thing that, that obviously every player will tell you is just the skills evident right off the bat, right? You know, <clears throat> the shot comes comes to mind right away. Um, the, the hockey instinct, uh, that's very obvious. Um, Dufour just also mentioned just uh, the, you play with him, right? And like, so you're facing him and he's, he's just such a dangerous player. In so many different ways, he can beat you in different ways. And I talked to Brent Thompson, his head coach, and you know, Brent Thompson's always been a real, a real honest, uh, direct uh, quote. And uh, you know, again, the, Brent Thompson will certainly speak to the uh, the on ice component that anybody can see if you watch Ratu even for five minutes. But uh, coachability, um, right off the bat, you know, and Thompson's a pretty old school coach, so I put a lot of stock into that uh, uh, in the sense that. You know he's he's he demands a lot out of his players. So so the fact that Thompson is willing to to, to say that that he's very coachable, very very smart. Um, you know he thinks the game extremely well. Um, you know just a smart guy all around, uh, and his work ethic. Uh, again, Thompson um, that's a real he's a real stickler for that. And uh, so for Thompson to cite those different ingredients above and beyond what you see on the ice. Um, I thought was very impressive. And, and, you know, this is a player that actually, you know, obviously when, when I spoke to them, he's no longer within the Islander system. They could have, both of them could have kind of punted the question or they could uh, certainly have, uh, you know, said a, a few uh, very generic, nice uh, words and, and moved on. But uh, they were both very effusive in their, 
um, in their assessment of Ratu. So, um, as Thompson said, you know, we got Horvat, but, you know, in order to get something valuable, you have to give up something valuable. And I thought that was spot on with, uh, with uh, how things applied to Ratu. So, I, I think the Canucks are, are, are getting a good one. Uh, they're going to send him down to Abbotsford. Uh, they actually just did that this week. So, he'll get a, he'll get a chance here to play with uh, Klimovich, uh, Pokolzin, uh, some, some good young forwards there. Um, and it looks like I think they're going to try to avoid the mistakes of the past uh, that the Canucks have made with other players, rushing them. I think they're going to take their time with Ratu and, and not try to put them in too much too soon. Um, you did obviously have some time earlier with the with New York Islanders uh, this year, but, uh, you know, he's, there's still certainly a lot to do um, in terms of rounding out his game. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think if you're the Vancouver Canucks, you have to be pretty happy with what you got uh, in terms of Ratu. Yeah, no, I, I don't doubt it. I just, I don't, I don't know if this is a guy that screams star. I think that's probably the contention from, from Canucks fans perspective or whatever it may be. But yeah, from, from everything I've heard and, and the brief little bit I've seen, it seems like he's probably a middle six guy in terms of his ceiling and kind of his trajectory. I mean, it, it is a matter of Vancouver banking on him reaching the potential that many thought he used to have. I don't know. Mind you, they passed on him too. Right in this draft, mm. so it's not like I don't think that they're asking for something crazy. Um, but yeah, no, I'd agree with you. I think that it's definitely one of those sort of high upside picks where you're you're banking on him being a more than a serviceable player, a impact player, not a game changer, but someone mm. that can can slot in in the near um, future to some degree. Yes, certainly somebody that can you know be a second or a third line role. Uh, you know, kind of dependent. I mean, obviously, there's tons of missing or moving pieces in Vancouver right now. But if that's where right. it ultimately settles out, I think, you know, in addition, obviously, what else they, they got in the deal. I think uh, if that happens, uh, Vancouver would certainly be very happy with that outcome. And, uh, you know, he'll get to work with Jeremy Colleton, the head coach in Abbotsford. So that will be good. Uh, and we'll just have to give this one some time and see. But. Um, yeah, I saw there, you know, there was definitely some consternation there coming out of Vancouver, you know, the, the fan base and, and such, but, um, I would just say pump the brakes on all that, you know, he's still very young. Um, his first year in North America, you know, full season and there's still tons of, uh, runway there. There's certainly still a lot to be written on his, uh, you know, what, what he ultimately becomes. But I think for right now, um, he's trending well and, uh, you know, we're not there yet in terms of what he will be, but uh, it's encouraging at this point. Let's shift over to our pro our team of the week, and that's the St. Louis Blues. A lot of interesting players that are with Springfield or have been with St. Louis recently, but back down because of the all-star break that's happening up there. But what's interesting too about St. Louis is the way it's looking now, there's going to be some changes there soon. I think that we'll be dealing some of those big guys. And what you see after the deadline with teams like this is some of these guys are about to mention could be coming up in sort of a show me type of call up or out of pure necessity. They may not have enough guys to, to ice a roster. So they may have to bring them up sooner than they would have anticipated. We'd be remiss not to start with this guy. And that's Joel Hofer stud got the contract extension mid year. I, I I'd be shocked if he wasn't in St. Like one of the two goalies St. Louis has next year. And just, he seems like to be getting better and better. And it's scary because 
wouldn't say he's a late bloomer. I'm not saying that, but goaltenders in general take the longest to develop. Mm-hmm. He's only 22, but he's getting better and better each year. And it's just like, it's crazy to think what he could even accomplish next year and beyond. Like this is him at 22, putting up these types of numbers to 917 save percentage in 28 games this year. He had a really strong playoff with them last year as well. Like it just seems like he keeps going up, up and up. Keyword, I think, is the playoff. Uh, that was such a huge uh, jump for him. Uh, you know, you saw, saw quite a bit of him last season as really a first year full time AHL player. And, you know, like any young goalie, there were ups and downs, right? There were nights where you definitely saw the potential, and there were other nights where you're like, all right, he's a rookie goalie. And, you know, this league can, uh, it can make life very difficult for, for a young goalie trying to find their way. But, um, last year, the, the, the Thunderbirds, they went to the Calder Cup final. Uh, and, and Hofer had that net for a good portion of that playoff run through, you know, three rounds coming out of the East. And then, uh, in that, that final round as well, uh, Charlie Lindgren, who's obviously now with the Washington Capitals, was, he was on recall uh, to the Blues during their own Stanley Cup run. So um, that net turned over to Hofer, and uh, he, he really took that opportunity, thought, and ran with it. And uh, he also got to, you know, when Lindgren was in Springfield, uh, he got to work with a really good veteran, a player that had been through his own ups and downs as a young goalie prospect. Uh, so I think having that mentorship early on in his career, his first year as a, a full-time pro, was a huge, huge bonus for Hofer. And now this year it's his net uh, and Springfield's really had some good goaltending, even amidst uh, you know, a real up and down season with a lot of injuries and, and a ton of call-ups. So uh, I think Hofer, yeah, that, that contract extension really spoke to uh, the potential that the Blues see there. Jake Neighbors, another person that's interesting, 2020 first round pick of the blues this year he's been sort of half and half he was just with st louis for about 27 games started the year out with springfield where he had 14 points in 19 games back down during the all-star break definitely one of their quicker emerging players like it's pretty crazy last year he was still in junior yeah the fact that he's playing nhl games now is pretty crazy he's only 20 years old i i I would suspect that whether he goes back up after the deadline or not, I think that they're probably hoping for a long run um, in the playoffs, if that's how it turns out. And that's probably their hope there. But but what what's the 4 on one on Jake Neighbors? Kind of a, he's kind of a big horse, you know, type wing, right? Like just like you know, the animal. He can, yeah, he can just, he can log minutes. Uh, he can grind for you. Uh, I think there is some scoring touch there. Uh, maybe when all is said and done and he's maybe fully developed. Uh, works hard, you know, so just, uh, kind of, uh, a real sort of prototypical, typical up and down, uh, traditional type winger. And, uh, I think the blues have themselves a good one and I'm pretty impressed all things considered with neighbors. I mean, you know, like a lot of those young players that, that, that really, I think had to deal with the, the disruption caused by the pandemic season. I think he's, he's handled it well. Um, and, I think if you're the Blues, again, a lot like Hofer, you have to be happy with where his development's at. Uh, he's gotten some time up uh, up and down this year. Um, I'd love to see him maybe stick in Springfield down the stretch and, and get to be the guy uh, or one of the guys uh, for a stretch drive. Springfield's definitely going to be in that situation where they're, they're, they're in a tight playoff race already. Uh, so 
they're going to every game down the stretch here is probably going to be a tight one. So um, I think that would be a real good experience for him if possible. Neighbors kind of fits the mold of what the Blues have long had in on their wings. Barbashev, mm-hmm. Buchnevich, they went out to get um, just Josh Levo even. Yeah, and when I say grit, I think the word grit is kind of misconstrued as as enforcer, like sort of like like just a guy that throws haymakers. But when I say grit, I just mean that compete and that one on one battles on the wall. Like neighbors really embodies yeah. what the Blues have usually kind of had there. Patrice Bergeron's gritty, you know the way he plays. So yeah, yeah I think so. gritty gets gritty gets a bad bad rap yeah. sometimes, but uh, yeah, it just means a guy that that will work the opponent for the puck and will take exactly to make play and all those. All those elements you need to win, right? I think the, the the way the word gets bad is when coaches use it to substitute or to excuse um, negative play. So that's probably mm-hmm. how. But yeah, I think I think neighbors makes a lot of sense for this core going forward. It'll be interesting to see like if they keep him down there or send him back up. It's probably something that's interesting to monitor. And another thing that's interesting to monitor is Will Bitten. Now this guy is probably the fastest rising prospect in that organization. Because, you know, he started in the Minnesota organization, wasn't working out, was thrown into a trade, ended up in St. Louis. Last year was Springfield. He popped off, like, oh, like shot of a cannon, almost like out of nowhere. I, I don't think anyone saw it. So, for example, last year was Springfield. He had 25 points in 45 games regular season. Playoffs were all around, 21 points in 18 games. This series got 28 points, 35 games in the HL. He's actually even had four games with the Blues as well. Third round pick of Montreal back in 2016. He's kind of on a second wave here, or th- sorry, third organization he's part of. What's made him able to climb that ladder and kind of knock on the door to become a, at least a player that plays some games for them? Yeah, so so he was in the Minnesota system. And that time, I think, could just run its course. Uh, you know, he definitely kind of, uh, plateaued there uh so right you know like a lot of players you know he kind of gets that 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 uh, second in his case i guess you might say third depending on how you assess the montreal thing but uh, another shot you know so he goes there mid-season to springfield has a solid finish to a season and then just built for the playoffs i mean a real rambunctious energy player he drove opponents nuts all throughout the uh the entire postseason run that springfield went on uh and then he also really kind of uh displayed a, a nice little scoring touch as well uh, that uh, maybe ha- had not always been part of his game at this level. Um, and he, I think more importantly, he carried that over this to this season, right? Like, so he wasn't just p- playing off the adrenaline of, of a playoff run and everything that comes with that. So, you know, he started producing going through the kind of the, the early grind into the, the mid season grind of the American hockey league, you know, so, so short off season comes in, um, really brings that same style that worked for him last spring and, and is able to keep it going. That consistency level that the coaches, you know, constantly talk about, he's been able to show that. And yeah, like you said, he got some time up with the, with the blues, depending on, I guess what St. Louis does here down the stretch. Uh, I won't be surprised to see him get some more time. I think uh, every team needs some guys like that. So, you know, the, 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 those energy guys, the guys that can kind of mix things up a little bit and, Go out and maybe do something. You know, if the team's flat that night early on, and uh, you throw him on the ice, he he'll do something. He'll create something. He'll create a turnover, a hit, um, a scoring chance. I think that's where where he really fits and and, and shines really well. 
Matt Kessel is another person, mm-hmm. another late round pick that has also climbed the ladder. Is he is he on the cusp of getting games, or does he need the remainder of this year to maybe show what he can do to the HL before we start talking that way? Yeah, um, I think he's close, uh, or at least he's getting there. I mean, I mean the interesting for him, thing for him, right? So like, he came out of UMass, right, and obviously, so you're looking at essentially half of a pro schedule in a given season. Um, and then that pandemic season was even shorter uh, for him. He only had 29 games that year. Um, so it was interesting. So last year he plays 37 games with UMass. They wrap up their season. He immediately turns pro, goes to Springfield. Between the end of the regular season and uh, the playoffs because of that run, he ended up playing 33 games in the AHL. So only four off the entire output of games that he had you know, gone through the entire you know, season at UMass. So he ended up kind of making up a lot of that time in a, in a short period. And now this year has come in and really carried that in. A real big, solid, sturdy type defenseman. Uh, certainly showed some playmaking ability at the college level. I'm not entirely sure that's completely been reached yet at this level in the AHL, but I mean, I think that's to be expected, right? I mean, you don't expect, a, especially a player that quite, you know stepped in, you know, for the playoffs last year. You know, when the, the level of play just goes up that much higher. Um, you know, I think he's shown a little bit more of that this year. That confidence has been building. So I think, uh, you know, he's a fifth round pick, right? So the, the Blues, I think, got themselves a nice bargain there and. Um, I think he'll certainly finish this season in Springfield, but I think next year is when he'll really start to challenge for some call-ups uh, with the with the Blues, and um, you know, so where it goes from there. But I think uh, I think he's been a pretty encouraging uh, prospect so far, considering again uh, something of a, an abbreviated um, repertoire of games uh, as a young player, you know, before he turned pro, and then now getting into the flow of things, uh, getting a playoff run uh, a month into his uh, pro career. I thought, I thought that was huge for him. And uh, I'm, I'm interested to see where he can take this. Last one, Nikita Alexandrov. Mm-hmm. I know that he, he was sent down to Springfield about a week ago um, at some point, but he'd been with the blues for a while. Like, is he, I don't want to say graduated, but like, has, is he still, like fighting to prove something or where's his game at? Cause I, I saw him play with the blues a bunch this year. Yeah. I think he's, he's like right on that line. Um, I think the bubble. You know, yeah. Yeah. I think with, with our teams, he'd already would have crossed that line into the NHL uh, second round pick. So obviously there's a lot of potential there coming in and he certainly, I thought he maybe had a little bit of a, a slow adjustment period last year, but uh, this year he's really taken off um, and, yeah, certainly he's, he's shown some scoring pop with the Springfield Thunderbirds, but um, I think he's just about there. And again, I think if, if uh, depending what St. Louis does uh, coming down the stretch here, I won't be surprised to see him. If they do start to maybe move some players around, move some players out that uh, he steps in and, and, and takes a role there and, and sticks there for, uh, for good. Absolutely. Well, that's all we've got for today's show, folks. I hope you liked the second part of Carrick. I think he's definitely someone we're gonna try to have on again this year. He's just a it's funny, we spoke to him for about like 40 minutes, and I felt like I could have gone on for hours with the guy. Like it's almost like yeah. but we were just scratching the surface, really. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, maybe he'll replace me on this. I bet we'd all like that. Um all right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We'll be sure to get you next week. We have a really cool guest coming up. I think you all really like it. 
little something different than what we usually have. But until then, take care, guys.